All right. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Robert Berger. We're joined by hosts Lee Griffin and Scott Boris. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Good, man. How are you? Good. Good. We're covering uh, FAR 61.105 Aeronautical Knowledge. This is kind of the written stuff, written test stuff um, versus the other episodes we've been doing was flight time and flight uh, experience. FAR 61.105 starts with A, general, a person who is applying for a private pilot certificate must receive and log ground training from an authorized instructor or complete a home study course on the aeronautical knowledge areas of paragraph B of this section that apply to the aircraft category and class rating sought. All right, uh, authorized instructor on this, not get too deep in the weeds with 61.197 and 61.217, which is the requirements to keep your instructor and ground instructor uh, licenses, certificates in check. Um, this is basically the instructor that you're working with for flight instruction can teach you this stuff in a, in a ground classroom setting. Um, yeah, most of them just punted along. Yeah, flight instructors that you're not flying like, with, but if you're if a flight instructor is qualified to teach private pilot certificate, can they give you ground the ground for it to comply with this section, even if they're not the ones actually giving you the flight instruction? Oh, yeah. Or do they have to have the ground instructor certificate? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, they can do. I mean, or else you know, normal because uh, I don't have I a have ground, ground instrument instructor. I don't have the AGI, AGI? the IJ. Uh, no. Ground instructors, no. which is what we're talking about. Um, you can oh, be, boy. you can have a rating yeah. for a ground instructor, but not flight instructor. Uh, you see that sometimes in, in 141 situations right. where somebody will get the ground instructor certificate so they can teach classroom before they get. And also you don't have to have a medical. So you can have your medal taken away Correct. and you can still you do a. Die hard instructor. You know, and for some reason ground you, instructor. you don't have your medical. You can get a ground instructor. Do, do you have to have a medical to be a flight instructor? Yeah. In, even in the air, I thought. What if your What if your uh, mm-hmm. student has a student pilot's license? No, that's that's when you need it. I mean, kind of. I think some of the gray areas when okay. you need like a, well, if, a safety pilot. What? What? If your uh, If your student already has a private, though. That's what I mean. If you're you functioning as a safety pilot, right? yeah, that's okay. that's a, a gray area that some people have yeah. used, or I mean, I, that I've heard. Like if. If you're an instrument rated instructor and your your student has a private pilot's license, I, I think you'd medical, be fine. If you if you're an instructor instrument, you have your double eye and you're teaching them how to be. I, I don't know. Uh, I instrument to. qualified as long as you're not doing instrument conditions, like actual IMC, where an instrument rating would be required. You're just doing simulated stuff in the air with the hood, the entire thing. I think you can do that, can't you, Lee? Well, yeah, but you're you're yeah, exercising. If you're in VMC, but the other private pilot sitting next to you can't see out the window, the assumption is that you could do some of those private pilot tasks by manip- by manipulating the flight controls, if like the see and avoid concept, right? Okay. So now you're the pilot. Now you're the pilot, but you don't have a medical. Yeah. So okay. What what about the requirements for a commercial then? What? So you're not your students not under the hood. But they're and they're fully qualified private. But no. you, well, yeah, but you're not going to be. You can't. Give, I don't you can't give flight instruction without that medical. That's for sure. Sure, talking, yeah, I think I, you can. I'm pretty sure you can. Um, I try and look that up uh, as we do this episode. 
Well, but okay. Uh, well, uh, Lee, you were going to do my uh, flight review. What was a month or two ago? Uh-huh. You did my uh-huh. flight review. Uh, there's another instructor on the field here who did not have his medical, and he offered to do it. He said, "I don't need a medical to do it." No, I'm obviously, look it up if you have medical, out of the game, you're, you're in so full compliance. The best, the best thing I would say is have your medical. How about that? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, he, he had to have he had to have heart surgery, and he lost, so he lost his medical. But he said, "Oh, I'll do. I can still do your flight review." I'm going to look you. it up as the episode goes oh, on. Okay. Hopefully, I'd um, continue yeah. if you want or whatever. Yeah, I, I I would have put that in my show notes. I didn't expect that question to come up. Uh, so yeah, ground instructor. Obviously, if you have your ground instructor certificate and you're compliant with the school to teach in, you're good to go. And a third one is actually an authorization. I uh, we have a a buddy Jack that you guys know of. Um, he we don't call it biannual flight review anymore. It was a flight review yes, he did for me. Yes, sir. Okay, I don't know when biannual became a four letter word in the aviation community. Yeah. Back- Back in our day, we used uh, biannual. Yeah, no, no, that's a no, 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 no that now. Was, that was so correct. A flight review, not yeah. a biannual flight review. Just a flight <laughs> review a flight is what review. we're going to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, a flight instructor almost refuse to give me a flight review. Because they I called they it get biannual. very should. Some, Must be a hell of an instructor. Some, some people get very testy about this. <laughs> anyway, um, he did yeah. a, a flight review for me. And then a couple years later, I need another one. And, uh, I'd, I'd said, hey, I'll fly out to Ohio. Next time I'm up in Ohio this summer, let's do it. And he's like, oh, I might see if I expired. And he was, he's an instructor for, or at the time he was an instructor in simulators for a corporate jet fleet, teaching in the global or Excel or something like that. And I, I didn't understand, okay, your CFIs expired. You didn't renew it, but you're still teaching people in the sims how to fly jets. But he's like, we have an authorization that I'm in compliance with from the FAA. So that's a third way. Third situation uh, where someone can someone oh can well teach that's you. No, yeah that's a whole other can of worms because as long as you have an ATP yeah you can go be a flight instructor at you know as long as they're operating transport category jets you can go be an inst- inst- instructor yep. there too or so and and that's one of the things that he was operating under is probably the fact that he had an ATP probably yeah so if you have an ATP you can instruct no no no, no 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 you have to. <clears throat> has to be part of your uh, air carrier, you know, your operating certificate or something like that. And of course, where he was working, you know, a a similar concept, they had the LOA or whatever letter of authorization from the FAA to to do it that way. All right. That's that's other than an author, you can go with an authorized instructor and do a kind of a traditional classroom instruction to cover all this aeronautical knowledge, or you can do what I feel like most people do these days is a home study course. You guys did which one? Did you guys do authorized instructor or home study course? If so, which home study course did you use? I did home study course. I I used King. Okay, I used Sporties. I didn't do any. I bought. I I um. Well, I did the books, the ASA, the books. Okay. Oh, that's the hard way. Well, I've done them all that way. Is that a, considered a home study course, or were you do, mm-hmm. working with a a flight instructor? I mean, I I guess flight instructor in that case, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fine letter of the law. Yeah. Flight instructor gave me the instruction. By that, I mean he gave me the book. Read this. I'll sign you off. All right. <laughs> All right. Aeronautical knowledge areas of paragraph B yeah. of this section that apply to the aircraft category class rating sought. They use this for a catch all in this reg. Um, this is uh, different than the other regs where they actually break it down to each 
different category, sometimes class. Uh, this is just kind of a catch-all for everything because this is mostly covering uh, everything we're talking about today is pretty much covered in the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge by the FAA. The most recent edition of that is a 2016 release uh, as of this recording. And then so, for example, if you were going through an airplane, learning how to fly an airplane like we did, you'd have the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge and then you'd have the Airplane Flying Handbook. If you're doing like a helicopter um, rating, you'd have the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge. That'd be the same book that every other pilot reads, but you have instead of the like airplane flying handbook, you'd have the helicopter flying handbook, which they actually released another one in 2019. And then uh, same thing with like airship and everything else, uh, which if you go to rubberbreaker.com backslash F-A-R-A-I-M-003, I can have those in the show notes uh, available. I'll send you with uh, to your email. Uh, including the airship pilot manual. Most recent update was 1941. Let's see, uh, the updated one on that. I don't know if you guys realize that. Uh, yeah, subpart B. There's oh, not man. a lot of blimp budget in the FAA, apparently. That's a while ago. Uh, aeronautical knowledge areas. One, this is starting 13 different things we'll cover um, for the knowledge area that they require. Um, the first part is applicable federal aviation regulations of this chapter that relate to private pilot privileges, limitations, and flight operations. Uh, private pilot privileges is pretty concise as far as what uh, regulations you have to know, um, limitations to, uh, and, but what's pretty broad brush is flight operations. I mean, that's, you're basically a private pilot. There's a lot of laws in that uh, flight operations um, category. So quick pop quiz here. FAA, like, so basically what I'm doing with this is which federal aviation regulations would you be required to know uh, for your private pilot certificate? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like what section? Like 6191? No, I'm just going to go through a few I have here of which ones would be required for you to know, which ones would be not applicable for a private pilot. Really? This so is like, a quiz, huh? I know. I got to thrown it in here. Okay. 91.125. Okay. Uh, I'm going to fail. Scott, you got the first one, Scott. FAR 91.125, which is ATC light signals. Would a private pilot be required to know this? Yes. Yes, they would. Yes. Uh, F yes. FAR 91.817, civil aircraft sonic boom. No. No, probably not. No? What if you're flying, I mean, are there planes that can do sonic boom? Yeah. That a private pilot can fly? I would assume. Probably, yeah, I, but I don't ever remember learning that. You can buy you can buy an F one hundred four Starfighter. Some gray area there. If you got the money, so the answer is yes. No, I mean not really. No. Okay. You can make the argument it's yes, but yeah. probably yeah. not going to be on your no. your check flight no. question or no. your written test. FAR ninety one point one zero six seven initial and recurrent flight attendant crew member testing requirements. I would say no. Yeah, definitely not. And then uh, 91.407, operator or operation after maintenance, preventive maintenance, and rebuilding or alteration. This is one I actually literally don't know. I'm asking. I think you would have to know that. Yeah, because as a private pilot, you're, you can uh, approve an airplane for return to service after it's gotten yeah. 100 hour or any of that kind of stuff. So That's what I assume. I know 
I know we went over it when we were doing our private. That's because we had we owned the planes. We were literally doing this sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know if that's something they cover when you're going through like a school with rentals and stuff. I think they do. I think so. I, I mean, know. that's nothing that I've ever covered too heavily. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sound healthily. Yeah, I know. Number two of the 13, accident reporting requirements of the National Transportation Safety Board. This is basically the 49 CFR Part 830. Uh, They self-describe as notification and reporting of aircraft accidents or incidents and overdue aircraft and preservation of aircraft wreckage, mail, cargo, and records. Um, And I'll admit... Is this something they may need to know? Is this what no, you're no, no, no. We moved on from the quiz. Good job. You guys both passed. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, yeah. Gold star. Gold star. Yeah, no, no. Part two of the 13 out of this this whole reg is accident reporting requirements of the National Transportation Safety Board. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is basically, good, 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 good. I mean, I, I had totally forgotten about a lot of this stuff, but it basically goes in, it's not that long, this whole section, and it basically what to do if there's an airplane accident or incident or there's injury, defines what the injuries what constitutes an injury, what constitutes enough damage yeah. on the plane to have it, the, the report have to go through. And this is, to me, that is, it's it's pretty well spelled out, but there's a billion airplanes out there that have undergone, like, or an, it was a literal bona fide accident, but never got turned in as one. It's, it's, this is, this is really annoying when you get in like aviation circles to me, the whole yeah. accident incident conversation. I don't know if That's I've, a had, whole nother I've podcast had those conversations. I just kind of, we went over it. I studied oh, for it for the written Go and then I figured I'd just punch it in ass G's if I ever need to know it for some reason. Well, well here, like, so here's a perfect example. You, um, let's say you, um, uh, you kind of, I don't know, ding a wingtip. Not, not like the, not like the plexiglass or the, the fiberglass or the plastic wingtip, but like just inside of that. So you hit aluminum. In the leading edge of the wing. Okay. I mean, it's a small dent. Yeah. Let's say it's a, you, you kind of, you hit it on something sharp, like a sharp piece of angle iron on a hanger or something like that. Something that was pretty robust. So the airplane wing gave a little bit. So like, let's say it's got like a quarter inch dent in the leading edge. Yeah. I, I don't know. What, what is your, I, don't I know, mean, like, I don't kind know of, if the reporting requirement, I personally I mean, would I, just, personally, I, I would, would have a mechanic thing. look at it. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, that's it, Bob. That's it. You have to have a mechanic look at it. What am I supposed to know? I'm not a mechanic. You you can't, as a private pilot, just you know say, oh, that's that's it's not substantial damage. You know, pretty much any time you got to maybe unrivet a piece of skin and put a new piece of skin on, that's substantial damage. It might not cost much to do. But if you if you got a quarter inch dent, do you have to put a new piece of skin on? We're, I, I maybe mean, you don't I see a lot of planes flying around with dense. May, well, well, if I can't fly with a, a little bit of frost on top of the wing, I'm not an engineer. Right. You know what I mean? We're clean yeah. aircraft concept when well, it comes to icing, like, you know, frost on top of the wing. I yeah. don't know what that little dent's going to do to the airflow. You, you go to a small airport and walk around the T hangers. You're going to find planes that fly all the time and they all have little dents here and there in the wings. Dude, you need to go People see the leading edge on our cub. You want to talk about dents? That thing looks like it flew yeah. through. Oh, I, I know. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. So it's it's all, you yeah. know. My my plane has some dents and wings that were somewhere there before I owned it. And I'm sure nobody ever 
you know said much like about you it. said i mean they're small they're, they're yeah light, but, but a small you know they always talk about like a you know some of these what we consider to be high performance airplanes you know short field high performance airplanes high lift airplanes like a caravan you know they can yeah. take on ice they yeah. can take on ice and eventually they get to a point where oh my god it doesn't fly anymore it flies fine it flies fine it flies fine right. up until right when it doesn't that's the thing, you know, and I'm not an aeronautical engineer. I'm not a mechanic, so I don't know when that point is that that is a dent that yeah, needs I'd fixed. Ask a, ask a mechanic. That would be the first thing I'd do. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the right thing. I've seen people, uh, I've seen people wrap cardboard around the wing to get it home in the shape. They shape the wing. That's with a cardboard. I, that's a they move. Have a very large yes. dent in it. I've seen a lot of things done. Hey, you know what? Go to Alaska. I've, I've, seen, I've seen that happen. Go to Alaska and you'll see that same stuff happen. Yeah. Duct tape and cardboard, they shaped, oh, made yeah. it the shape of the wing and uh, flew it home. Number three, yeah. use of the airplane or use of the applicable portions of the Aeronautical Information Manual and FAA Advisory Circulars. What is the Aeronautical Information Manual? The Aeronautical Information Manual is... The FAA's Guide to Basic Flight Information and Air Traffic Control Procedures. So is it, it's not regulation then? How does that work, Scott? I don't believe it's regulation. I, in, in my opinion, it's more of just strong suggestions, but I probably yeah, am wrong, wrong about that. <laughs> you're definitely wrong. Lee? Okay. <laughs> I mean, strong, if by strong suggestion you mean something me, you could be taken to court for. Str- yes. Strongly worded suggestion book. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, see, the far part is the legal part, and the aim, that's just a bunch of suggestions. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the FARs are definitely regulation, and that that is that is laws, you know. But, and, but the aim, that is stuff that you are 100% expected to do. And so much of it nobody knows, but you are expected yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and case law? I said, I've heard it described what? as uh, regulatory in nature. Yeah, I mean, that's what they tell us. And who the hell knows yeah. what that actually means? But it's, it's, it's really parallels is from the weight of the words that are written. It's really held on I, I, from the way, the way I live it <laughs> in you know, my career. I mean, it's 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 one and the same. If it's written in the AIM, you treat it just like it's written in the FARs. Yeah, and I mean, in in case law, I, I believe case law pretty right. much is. I mean, you can look and 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 see. I mean, there's things in the aeronautical information manual that people have been tried for and you know fined for and gotten their license revoked and all that stuff. All right. Now, what, what would you describe advisory circulars then? Well, basically, I mean, so like, um. Advisory circulars, when you have like maybe all the regulations we see, including advisory circulars, are pretty much not a knee-jerk reaction, but a reaction to somebody did something wrong, so now we need to address it type thing. And it's basically just a really thorough explanation on maybe a specific reg. Like, hey, we've seen, you know, an uptick in this, or we've seen this happening, and now we need to give you more guidance on it. You know, so there, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff from, from airport lighting to how to write, you know, a manual for an air carrier certificate, 
Um, you know, one of a hot spot for me right now um, is uh, a crew resource management in a multi-crew flight deck or cockpit. Okay. Um, you know, stuff like that. They just help you really, do, you know, they really give you a lot of guidance, so, a lot of, a lot of meat. So a pilot re- is expected to know the advisory circulars that apply to their flight operations just as much as they're expected to understand the regulations, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, over time, you know, some of those advisory circulars are hopefully going to make it into regulations or they'll find a way to, you know, make it into the aim. Okay. You know, so that it's, so that it is, it is kind of more front and center. Cause you got to go dig up those advisory circulars. It's not always easy. You can find one one time and then the next time you can't quite find it the way, the way you did the first time you can go to the government printing office and get them all, you know, that's, but who's going to do that? Everybody's going to go online. Yep. Yeah. Um, as much as, you know, as much as you might want to have that hard copy, you know, sitting on your shelf or if you're a commercial flight instructor, yeah, you know, it might be nice, but all right. Yeah. Go, I mean, go online, but sometimes you can't always find the same one twice. I've had that, I've problem had that same sure. problem too. That's why I asked because it's kind of a gray yeah. area a little bit, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if eventually if it's a prominent one, it kind of gets turned into and I hate using this, or I hate—I don't hate using the term, but I hate saying, or I hate the concept of it, tribal knowledge. You know, that flight instructor, you know, read an advisor circular one time, and now they started feeding it kind of into their syllabus. You know, if it's a Part 61 operator, which is, you know, we're not working off of an approved syllabus. They're just working straight out of the FARs. They'll feed, they can feed that in kind of at their leisure and, you know, cover it or make it whatever hotspot they want. Just because it came out in an advisor circular, doesn't mean that you weren't already doing it right. They're just giving you more guidance, yeah. you know, on on a specific topic. Could even be about a specific airplane, you know, it doesn't yep. necessarily or a specific airport or you know all kinds of stuff. Anything you can think of, they can make an advisory circular over. All right, number four out of thirteen: use of aeronautical charts for VFR navigation using pilotage, dead reckoning, and navigation systems. Uh, this is basically all the stuff you learn during your cross-country training. Um, unless you guys have anything to add, we'll we'll move on. Uh, number five out of 13, radio communication procedures. This could be entire episodes in and of itself, but I have a creative oh, idea. Let's run through the, um, let's run through a flight. What would you say, what would be all the um, radio communication transmissions you would do on a flight that all three of us have done too many times to count. We'll do Putin Bay, South Bass Island to Kelly's Island uh, Airport in Lake Erie. Uh, set it up. We'll use Cessna 207. That was my old call sign off the old 250. Oh boy. The old 250, huh? Got an upgrade? The old, the old 250. Oh, Cessna 150. <laughs> correct. Is that actually a plane, the 250? No. I was, looking at, I was looking at. The, I don't think so. You said two fifty okay. on the last episode too, or something weird. Last did episode. I? Yes, you did. No, I accidentally said one seventy. One seventy. That's right. One seventy. Yeah. yeah. No. So all right, we'll use call sign Cessna two zero seven from uh, which I already don't like saying Cessna because that could be anything from a one fifty to a Citation. That's what I always said, though. That's what everyone. That's what. That's, God, what, that's say, what you right? say, don't that's you? A, yeah, that's what you bring. <laughs> yeah, our, our instructor told us to say Cessna, but it could be anything. You know, Cita- there's no citations things. going in out of the Lake Erie Islands. All right. I know. I'm just saying, big picture <laughs> stuff. If, big picture. No, I, I don't disagree. Bigger. If I was talking to air traffic, I, 
obviously, if you're talking to air traffic control, I would, you know, identify and then say Cessna 150. Right. Yeah, you pretty much, the Cessna 150 you know. is a weird one because, it, you know, commuter, you know, if that's really its name, I don't know. But yeah, we, in the other 150 I fly, uh, we just say Cessna also. Yeah, that's what most, that's what uh, most people I, do. I, so, yeah. But I hate it every time I do it. Our plane's our plane sitting saying. on the tarmac at Putin Bay. All right. We've had lunch. Now we're going to Kelly's Island. All right. How many drinks did we have? The pilot didn't have any. All right. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> pilot didn't have any. All right. Radio, we assume, is <laughs> already tuned into like 122.8, the CTAF Unicom for the airport there. Uh, yeah, Putin Bay, yeah. yeah. Uh, the first thing you're going to have to do is taxi around and chase the geese off wait, the runway. We're, this is radio communication that. procedures, right? But we're that is very good aeronautical decision making, Scott. Oh, okay. That is All very right. good. Yeah. You do, because if you go geese, to start yeah. that takeoff roll, you can't take it back. Yep. You can reject the takeoff. That doesn't mean you're not going to hit a goose on no. the, in the process. Yeah, a short runway full of geese. Yeah, I think that's a good call, Scott. You'll come in. We'll, we'll check the weather over at uh, PCW 118.775. That would be considered radio communication procedures, right? I mean, you're not communicating. Checking in the, the weather? You're just listening. Okay. You're just listening. Yeah, you're just listening. Well, you check yeah. the weather. That's something you're doing well, with the radio. The, yeah. You're receiving the communications of the weather off of the the AWOS at PCW, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. 118.775. Yeah, you don't have to do that, though. Okay. But you just, this airport's pretty close. You're to not, you're not going to be able to get it on the ground, anyways. Don't really have no. Put in bay. Oh, all right. No. I feel like you. I. Yeah, you I guarantee I like you that you can't. Know, you've done that. I guarantee lately, you that you so. can't. Scott, this summer we'll uh, we'll see. Tune that in. All right. Let's assume. Please do. Winds okay. coming out of the east, straight yeah. out of the east. That's what you're wrong. I'm wrong with the wind direction. You're wrong about getting it. Getting it. No, you can. No, your scenario. Go ahead. But you're wrong about the radio. Oh. <laughs> Scenario: I can make up. I can make up whatever direction the winds go. So Ten knots out of east. No, nope, no, nope, right. you're wrong. The winds out of the west. <laughs> no, did you even check winds? So we're flying seven miles east over to Kelly's. Did you even check the wind? I, I'm, I'm making up the wind. I'm, uh, okay. I'm mother, I'm, I'm mother nature in this experiment. Oh, I believe the winds out of the south today. So you're, you're wrong. But okay, go ahead. Out of heading three six five. So when are you taking? When when's the first radio call? When would you do the first radio call for during this flight on uh, on one two two point eight? And what would, what would the radio call right, be? Scott, it's after you. I got a little bit of a lengthy. Well, I would say Cessna two zero seven's back taxi. Whatever. You don't need to back taxi. There's a par- three. parallel runway. Okay. Or that's yeah, a parallel, parallel taxi taxiway, right? A, oh, you could back taxi on the runway if you want. Okay. Free world. Well, I thought there. No. Okay. I guess Free you're country. right. I'm, yeah, and there's nobody. Well, to chase the geese off, uh, you're if, want to go down the if there's geese, yes. If so that's a serious Scott, consideration, right? you're latching onto that one pretty strong. Scott, Scott went there. <laughs> Scott went there once, and there was geese all over the runway. Well, last time I took off a put I almost hit some geese. And I had to chase them off the runway with my plane before I took off. So that's why okay. Scott's Scott's going to make an advisory geese. circular about the geese on the Putin Bay runway. Seriously, I, I, they're bad over there. I almost hit one. They're they're. They're really bad. All right, yeah. first first yeah. call, you'd be like taking off, right? I don't. I mean, yeah. That you're. I would say Cessna two zero seven departing runway three. Putin Bay. Putin Bay. Yeah, Putin Bay traffic. Cessna two zero seven departing runway three. And then you could say Putin Bay at the end too, if you want to make sure that. That's what. That's what I always do at the beginning and the end. Yeah. yeah. So you take off runway three, 
avoid Perry's monument, thousand feet clear. When you when you switch over, do you do another call on put in bay frequency, or would that be it on the takeoff? I wouldn't. I would just do my departure and leave. It's not that busy. I mean, but you're probably supposed to say, you know, what you're doing after you take off. But that's just me. So then you switch over to the CTAF on Kelly's, which is one two point nine. What point then do you make the call? How far out do you make the call? Uh, I would. We could do five miles out, probably. So you call. What would the call be? Five miles out. I don't know. That's that's probably what I would do. Are you going? Are we going to do a compare and contrast of Scott's answers, and my answers? No. Let's. Oh, Is he chiming in right time. now? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Oh, I'd be. I'd. Yeah. Let's let's back up then. Let's back this plane up. <laughs> I would. I would make a. It depends on which which version of my piloting that I want to be. Do I want to be a cowboy and don't really care about much? Just let's just be barely safe, or do I want to like do things right? You know what I mean? Because in the GA world, I mean, you do kind of that have that Jekyll and Hyde personality. That is that is there. You know what I mean? Do you agree with that or no? It's no Jack Scott yeah. and I are Scott and I are GA pilots. Oh, yeah. There's no Jekyll no, no, no. and Hyde. There's just Jekyll. Oh, just yeah. You're just, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's just Hyde, <laughs> Mister Hyde, Doctor oh, Jekyll, and Mister okay. Hyde. Which one's the Which one's the yeah, bad one? Mister Hyde. Gotcha. Jekyll's nice and Hyde yeah. is bad. Okay, then we're I'm just Mister Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, I might not say anything. You know. I might just take off and, and, and land you could, without saying I mean, you anything. could do that. See and avoid. What, what are you going to do if you don't have a radio at all? Like in the Cub. Right. Yeah. What if you're in a yeah, Cub? Yeah. No exactly. radio. We, we're assuming we have a radio. Right, because we're in 207. We're in Cessna 207. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, totally. But if you want to do things right, when you're leaving the ramp, pretty much before you start taxing, you should be saying, you know, we always we always say island traffic, but I do agree that you should say where you are at the beginning and at the end. All that, although that adds a lot of length to the transmission. You know, like when what's gonna what is going to grab somebody's attention better when when you're talking to them, like you're at a whatever a group function. Is does it make does it make better sense to say? Hey, hey, you know X, you know, hey, hey, Rob, hey, Scott, at the beginning to get their attention and then tell them, or does it make sense to like tell them a bunch of stuff and then tell them at the, and say their name at the end to get them like, get their attention. You know what I mean? I always do both. We always, we always did both because of the advantage of right. Yeah. A, you, they start listening when you say it first. Yeah. They know. Yeah. Right off the bat. They're like a lot of times when know, I'm flying, understand who you're trying to talk to. A lot of times when I'm right. flying, if I hear somebody that doesn't do both, a lot of times I'm not paying attention right away. So if they said it in the beginning, that's what I'm saying. And then I don't, I wasn't, you're listening I wasn't right there. You know, when they started talking and they don't say it at the end, I don't know what airport they're talking about. Right. Right. So you're catching, you're catching a little bit, some people at the beginning or sometimes some people at the beginning and you're kind of punctuating it sometimes at the end. It just depends on what's going on in your airplane at that moment. So um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, start to say it at the beginning, say it at the end. Yeah, it adds length to the transmission. But if you clean up what's in the middle and get rid of you know stuff that shouldn't be in there, and that's all in the aeronautical information manual, what you're supposed to say. But yeah, say it at the beginning, say it at the end. But at Putin Bay, from the to, to do everything right, 
I say before you even start taxing, before your brakes are released, you're saying put in May traffic, Cessna 207, taxing from the ramp for departure, runway three. Oh, that sounds put like a lot traffic. of work. Yeah, that's technically you're supposed to do it when you that's start right. moving on the ramp. Yes, you are. Most, yeah, that's no, what I said. Nobody, nobody, that. Most people don't do that, though. They t- will call it like right before they get on the runway, typically. At least in northern Ohio, uncontrolled fields from what I've seen. Yeah, well, the thing is, the, the one thing you don't want to do, though, is you don't want to get fired up in an airplane that costs a lot to run just to taxi out and then, you know, cur- you know, go as fast as you can to get to the end of the runway and be like, oh, somebody's on short final, so I got to wait for him. You want to, you want to, you want to have, you want to make a radio call about as soon as you can so that you kind of get a response and you get a general feel of what's going on around you as soon as you can so you can plan your stuff out a little bit better to make, uh, you know, you, you may always have to wait for somebody, but if you can get more stuff done on the roll or not, you know, maybe taxi a little bit slower because there's, there's, there's something about the illusion of progress. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. You don't want to taxi out at 30 knots and then come to a stop and sit there for three minutes. You know what I mean? It would be so much better psychologically. Take off. So I won't be doing that. (laughs) Well, I, yeah, right. Uh, Okay. So that's a bad example, but you don't want to taxi. You you would rather taxi, you know, okay. I don't want to say 15 knots now either, but you rather taxi at eight knots, 10 knots. And then that airplane that you, that responded to you when you said what you were doing initially, right taxiing from the ramp, they've already landed. They responded, hey, we're on left base, we're on final. What? And I know we'll get into those in a second. Um, they've already landed. You can taxi right on out, get on the center line of the runway, put the power in and go without stopping at all. And that is much more preferable psychologically, I think. Don't you guys? You yeah. know, if you yeah. put your... Yeah. So you did- you did the call. You did the call basically at the ramp before you're basically leaving the ramp to go to the end of the runway, and then you're making a call before you get on the runway to of take course. off, correct? Yeah, of course. Then, yeah, of course the departure call, but yeah, that's standard. But yeah, you, I, you I would start off, before brakes release. You take off runway three, you stay a thousand feet clear of Perry's monument on that particular runway <laughs> is the rule, correct? Um yeah. I believe, I believe that's the reg. Um or whatever they the airport notes. I think that's and then yeah. we're, we're headed. Well, east. No, it's a reg. It's a reg. It's a reg. We're headed east towards Kelly's Island now. What did you say, Scott? What was your next call? Scott says the, the thousand thousand feet from uh, an obstacle. That's a, that's what you're supposed to do with any building or correct. Or, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I just I believe I remember a thousand feet above the highest obstacle within right. horizontal distance yeah. of two thousand feet. I believe yeah. I, they've made it very clear a thousand feet from monument, like in the. I've I've read that multiple places when I was flying in and out of there. I remember, but maybe maybe they changed it. I'm not sure. Where where would that be? That was in the airport notes in the um, facilities directory. In the airport airport facility directory. In the facility directory. Well, I don't yeah, have one. I don't either. But I remember consult, reading it but... back in the day. It was some sort of feet away from Paris Monument, right there in the uh, in it. Anyway, off topic. We are now we are up up in the air. Took off runway three, and we are turning basically east orienting ourselves towards the east to get to Kelly's, which is seven miles away. Right into the wind. When's our okay. next radio call? When are, we, when are we switching frequencies? When's the next radio call? <laughs> that is an incredibly tough one because if memory serves me, I don't know the distances on those airports good enough, but you kind of have to put yourself in between. How many did you say you knew? 
Se- yeah, seven. It's, it's basically seven nautical miles apart from each other. So this is a perfect situation for pick your, you know, pick your poison, pick your battle, whatever. So you definitely are, you're going to be in the traffic pattern still. I mean, you're on the ground at the far end of the runway at Putin Bay and you're still within, you know, you should have already notified Kelly's Island traffic already. So we're still in the pattern at Putin Bay. We should have already let Putin Bay or uh, Kelly's Island traffic know that we're coming if there were any. I've landed there hundreds of times going in and out. I used to work on the island and I've seen another plane maybe 10 times out of hundreds of times. Yeah. Yeah. But we're talking about, we're, yeah. We're talking about the fine letter of the law here, in my opinion. But, but it's not law. I mean, because you don't have to contact them at all if you don't want to make any radio transmissions if you don't want to so yeah well does your radio work yeah okay so if your radio works and you're choosing not to utilize it i mean you could be and here's the thing just like in cars i mean they can get you for reckless operation yeah i suppose oh well they can't i always yeah i always use the radio they have to have a catch-all yeah Oh, I do too. Well, I, I know, just didn't think you. I don't think you have to, though. Well, I mean, no, you don't have to, but you have one that works in the plane. That's pretty hard yeah. to. If you were to cause an issue, which likely you wouldn't be here to talk about it or get in trouble anyways, but if you had an issue that caused any substantial damage or whatever, really upset someone, they could always go after the, you know, reckless operation. So you're, yeah, let's assume you're off the Part ground. 91. You're going through the pattern out out of Putin Bay. So you. You'd switch over to to one two two point nine like right away off of Kelly's and call or right away off of Putin Bay and call Kelly's. Well, the, here's the first question: Which way are you turning out? I mean, I know that's probably beyond the yeah it's what you're trying to get after, after, but but see, I, you're just tr- sticking straight to radio calls. Yeah, I mean, pretty, would you shoot a left? I don't remember if there's any pattern restrictions there. It's been so long. Well, well, beyond pattern restrictions, I'm worried about par off gliding distance from shore. Yeah. You know, because it's nothing but open water between these two airports, really. So let's, yeah, let's not, let's not, not get in the weeds. Say, let's focus on when's the next radio call. I gotcha. I mean, pretty much immediately. As soon as I, as soon as I am sure that I, or reasonably sure that I'm clear of conflict, I'm going to keep up the see and avoid concept. I'm going to keep looking outside um, for other traffic, but I'm going to basically try and get on uh, the radio for Kelly's Island about as quick as possible. Maybe I'm not making a radio call. But I'm definitely dialing that 22.9 so that I can start listening to see if there's anything going on. But the sooner I can figure out, um, you know, or uh, the sooner I can get that that next radio call, which would be like, I think Scott said, what did you say? What was, what was your next radio call you want to do, Scott? I would do five miles out. Just say, you know, 207 is five miles to the east. West. They're five west. miles to the west inbound. Yeah. Five miles to the west inbound Kelly's Island. Inbound Same what? Runway. Huh? What do you mean? It, in, oh, you're not going to say which in runway? Inbound Kelly's Island. And then you, you, well, that's what I said. You can say which runway you're going to use. I don't. So that's what, so what in the, the scenario we have painted, which runway are you going to use? What's the wind? Where's the wind again, Rob? I, coming from the east, you use nine. Coming straight out from the east, okay. I said. Mother yeah, nature then today. you use nine. Okay, nine. Uh, I, would do, I would do the call. I'd. I don't know if I do it five miles out. I'd probably do it probably halfway in between. It's say you know Kelly's on traffic. Cessna two zero seven. You know, four three four miles out. 
inbound Kelly's Island. And I'd leave it at that, maybe put my altitude, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 Well, that always that. helps for like adding extra to like anybody who is there. If the, Here's the thing. These airports that are operating on 122.9, so this is kind of a bad, not a bad example, but an interesting example because these are airports that, you know, are a little, not, not as much traffic. So you can make a long transmission. It's not like you're stepping on anybody. So that's one. But yeah. two, and two, you're not as likely to have any conflict. And then, but three is when that one person is there and there is a conflict, which I mean, I've had multiple times, but, or I mean, you know what I mean? But um, you want to give more information, but if they want more information, if it doesn't work for them, you can always make a second transmission. These are not busy. You know, a lot of times these are not busy frequencies. They're set up so they're far enough apart. You're not stepping on a lot of people if you're reasonably making your radio calls. But yeah, I mean, I pretty, I pretty much agree with you guys. I mean, I would add the, I would add the runway. I'm not going to go talking about altitude until like there's like, oh, oh, you're like where I am. What, you know, what if the wind is is kind of variable, and you want to overfly the runway? That's the problem. That's why I was harping on that yeah, so much. That's why I wanted to see what you're going to say. A there. lot, of, a lot of times I over, I'm going to overfly the runway and check out the windsock. I mean, obviously, if you if you're taking off right from put in bay you probably know what the wind is on kelly's but if you're coming from a further distance you might not know what the wind is on kelly's for sure for sure they and that's a- well i mean you have the advantage there that you have the awas at, at uh Port- yeah. portland yeah. you know in this case you can yeah. typically find something nearby but i mean if anything at those islands one island is totally different winds than the uh, well not totally different but different winds than the other in kelly's it can it, be though yeah oh yeah 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 they can be really bad especially if systems just come through or just coming through or whatever the case may be you got to yeah i mean you're pretty much always landing east That's or right. west but with um I, i'm a uh, i'm a fair weather pilot so i don't fly when there's a lot of wind so it's a lot of times it's variable so if I'm going somewhere, even if I'm going like somewhere that's five, 10 miles away, I typically overfly the field because I might, I don't know what the wind is going to be, you know, because I, I only fly when it's nice out. <laughs> yeah. Local conditions. You look at that windsock. Yeah. Well, yeah, nothing's going to tell you better than, yeah, than that windsock there. I mean, even that, um, METAR you read or whatever forecast, I mean, that's only as good as when it was published. So nothing, nothing's better than real time. I agree with that. But yeah, I mean, I would be, I, w- I would do five miles out. I would not do halfway, like you said, because that sounds like three and a half miles. And I mean, we're not talking about airplanes that set the world on fire here, but the fine, well, I'm going to say the fine letter of the law. If you read the aeronautical information manual, they want you to do 10 miles out, don't they, Rob? Uh, yeah, I believe so. That's what we were always told with yeah. with our instructor, 10? Rob. Yeah, he had us do 10. Yeah, but, do 10. But if I was flying from, from. But that's nuts. In a, in a 150, 10 miles, that's 10 like, miles in a 150, yeah. 10 miles away, it's like, you know, you're, you're almost not Minutes. relevant when you're still 10 miles out right. in that plane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's five minutes. And, the, and and all my, all the commercial flight instruction I did, I always said, I always told them, I preface the statement, do, they want you to do 10, but in these, this speed category of aircraft, five is much more practical. You can, you can, as a, as an airplane on the ground or an airplane in the air, you can kind of gauge two minutes. You know what I mean? But once you start getting into four and five minutes, 
which is, you know, what, what 10 miles would be is about five minutes in these airplanes, you know, um, you know, about yep. two miles a minute, right? Right. It, At 120 knots, that's two miles a minute. A little off topic. So in this oh, we're already category. off topic, so. Go ahead. Go. Oh, Go ahead. okay. Well, well uh, I was going to say a little off topic. Uh, if you're going into Class D airspace, how far out would you contact uh, approach or control? Seven miles. Seven miles. Seven miles. For Class D? Yeah. Because... Yeah, because the you know from the center of the airport out, you know your four nautical miles, which is five statue miles, if that matters yeah. to anybody. But yeah, you want to give them. You don't want to be too far away. Well, I always because did, I always they're did twenty miles class, out, which I guess is way too much. You're talking about Mansfield, yeah, or or right? Ber- or Berkeley, yeah, front. because they have approach control. Yeah. Oh what? Yeah, twenty miles. So what they say? What did they say what, back to you when you called Berkeley front twenty miles out? They would. Usually give me a usually give me a code and uh, tell me to report airport in sight. Burke Lakefront never did that. No, they don't have radar. Mm-mm. Cleveland Approach did. Okay, well, yeah, I contacted Cleveland Approach 10, 20 miles well, out. That's not Burke Lakefront. Well, no, yeah. I wasn't contacting Burke Lakefront. Going, going into Burke Lakefront. Okay, I, yeah, I guess which see runs what, see the radar? Saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's. That's the, he was contacting a class Bravo approach control. Is that what, not a well, class Delta Tower? Okay. Is that what you're supposed? No, to, is that what you're supposed to do? Going to Burke? Oh, class okay. Delta Towers don't have radar. Contact typically. Cleveland Approach. What's that? What? Contact Cleveland Approach. Well, I mean, if you want, or you can, like I said, wait till you're six or seven miles out. That's what I'd usually. I'd I'd skirt I'd skirt that class Bravo out over Lake Erie a little bit, stay under the shelf, and then call them as I'm coming. Well, here's in. the thing. That's why you do it because that is that gives you a safety net, if you will. Class deltas are kind of tough because for a lot of people, because the the thing is, is you have a very narrow window of where you can contact them versus where you're in their airspace. You know what I mean? Because they're looking for you. Well, I mean, you can contact them anywhere, but you want to contact them far enough away that you're not going to penetrate their airspace All right, before me, they see you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're let looking me, out the window. Rain back, let me rein this back part. in. We're going over Kelly's Island. If you're VFR. When's our, when's our call after that? After that yeah, yeah. 10, 5, whatever call out we did, like midway. When's our next call out? I'm going to say Kelly's Island traffic, Cessna 207, five to the west, inbound nine, Kelly's You're Island. Coming over. Okay, then we're coming in. So from the west, yeah, so we're coming from the west, we're landing to the east. So we actually basically sets us up for a good situation to kind of do, and not go too far out of our way, to do a you know midfield overhead, get a good look at the windsock, just to make sure what you know, whatever intel we do have from Port Clinton or wherever. So this could be any airport, but um, from Port Clinton in this case, make sure that's accurate. And then we're going to basically, I'm going to come overhead. And this is not really something that's talked about in the states, uh, Canada. That's an improved thing, um, or something that's that's talked about in their regulations, their their version of the aeronautical information manual. I'm going to say, you know, Kelly's on the traffic says two zero seven overhead, entering left downwind. Nine Kelly's Island. So this is you have the you have the runway. You're gonna you're going the opposite direction downwind, basically laid out. You're gonna be going opposite the direction you're going to land yep. with the runway over to your left hand side, and that's the downwind you're gonna call. Uh, eventually it'll be eventually yeah eventually that's what I do, but I'm gonna call overhead first because we're supposed to make an entering downwind call if we are not remaining in the traffic Correct. pattern. 
That's what a lot of people don't realize. You know, they think just, you know, call it downwind, but no, you're actually supposed to say entering downwind. Yeah, I would, I usually, I'm probably doing it wrong. I usually just call when I'm in downwind. Yeah, it's actually supposed to be entering downwind or 40. That's why you hear a lot of people make kind of make up this call 45 left downwind. So that's their entering downwind call. And I suppose that yeah. suffices, but um, yeah, it's supposed to be entering downwind or turning downwind. Rob is supposed to be turning downwind. I always use entering downwind. Or no, I always use turning downwind. Not out of those two. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right. So now. then you were going downwind. Obviously, we're gonna turn base. This is if you're going the opposite direction of what you're landing. You got to make a big square U-turn back to your final approach. So then the next call would be Cessna two zero seven turning base runway nine Kelly's Island. Correct. I w- I would not say turning. I that's the thing. So now we're adding extra words. The length of the transmission. Why do you yeah, need to say that's turn? What, I know I do that with final. I think I do. I go back and forth. Between what? I don't fly that much anymore. What? Go back and forth to what? Whether I throw in turning or whether or not I just, when I'm on it. Don't do that. I'll just stay base. That's not what I do the, both. You're not confirmation. You're not supposed to say. I usually call it like when I'm on base, I'll say. Yeah. It tells you exactly what you're supposed ne- to say. Never say turning. Like it down. literally tells you exactly. I'm trying to find it actually. I was told by somebody once that don't bother calling final because you already told them you're on base, so they know you're on final in a few seconds anyway, and they can see you. Yeah, I would not. I would say maybe. <laughs> I'm sure that that's not uh, good information, but I was told hey, that I always, I always make the final call, which would be Kelly's Island traffic, Cessna 207, final runway 9, Kelly's Island. And I wouldn't and say that's runway. That's my last call. Why would you say runway? Yeah. We know we're, you're landing on a runway. Yeah, I was just told. Um, I mean, you... Yeah, I mean, I, I just I've done nine. it both yeah. ways. Clean I've up your radio runway. calls, man. I've, I've I've added runway in there, and I know I've said it without runway. Get, get rid of the runway. You don't need to say turning or runway. You know what I mean? No, yeah. I, I, These are the things that makes, frustrate me. When 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 I hear, you know, people continually turning left downwind runway two seven. It's like just say downwind two seven. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, well, I've, I mean, done it, wait, I've done it both ways. Well, I'm telling you yeah, to do it one way. Yeah. And then, I'm, and I'm then looking for it right now. It, we can reference exactly is so the, you know. Is the final call, that's not your last radio communication though, is it? Negative. What is the what is the last, typically, if you're going to do like Kelly's Island, for example, what would be your last call? Scott? Anything? Uh... Two zero seven uh final nine. We've already, already made that one, but that's not the last one though. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you could do clear the runway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean I usually don't bother to, but you probably should. Yes. I typi- I typically do that one. Clear runway. I I wouldn't at Kelly's Island. I mean if I was at a yeah, if it was like a that's week. what I said. It depends on which one you're gonna be, Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. That's the thing yeah. is you can do like you know, I like know. uh that's probably overkill to do, or you can do like what you're supposed to do no matter what. If you're gonna pick some rules to follow, why not follow them all? Yeah. That's the way. Because there's I promise you, Scott, you have one rule that you will not break ever. Rob, you have one rule you will not break ever. And if you do, if there's it's absolutely sacred, if you do have that one rule, why don't you just follow them all? You know what I mean? That's that is my perspective on it. I always follow every regulation I'm aware of. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All me right. Too. Me too. 
Moving on, number six out of 13, recognition of critical weather situations from the ground and in flight, wind shear avoidance and procurement and use of aeronautical weather reports and forecasts. Uh, yes. Not to get in the weeds, but this critical weather situation. Um, what's an example of that? We won't go into all the, the METARs and NOTAMs and all that business this this episode. This is recognition of a critical weather situation? Yeah, it's recognition of critical weather situations from the ground and in flight would be just an example of a critical weather situation. Well, I mean, so you have to look at what type of aircraft you're flying. You know, obviously, they have a wide range of capability, but for, like, we're talking about Cessna 207, might as well stick with that. That, I mean, that that, that brings the threshold pr- not really low, but pretty low, you know, compared to some airplanes. C-130 is a lot lower than, a lot lower than a Cessna Citation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, if there if there's you know freezing rain, you know, you know anything like that, yeah, you're done. Well, you're probably you're done in a citation too. I guess that's a terrible example. But if you have you know um, an overcast layer that starts at 500 feet, 300 feet, that's a, that's obviously a no go. You know, that's that. So no, it's, no, no, you just you stay lower have, then. Well, that right? is, that is what weave between the towers. Yeah, just just stay stay under the clouds. Yeah, I mean that's that's right? yeah, that's that's one way you could do it. <laughs> just not, don't tell me when you're doing it. Not, it's not yeah. good advice. Yeah, I remember. Uh, 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 I won't get into details about it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean later, right. later on, later on. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I mean, one thing that may severely inhibit one aircraft's f- ability to safely go fly may not be anything to another. So it just depends on how you as the pilot are certif- or your certificate level and what the airplane's capability. That's 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 the two things. You have to look at both of those. Cessna 150, you know, when you want to think about uh, hazardous weather, you want to think immediately, oh, thunderstorms, tornadoes, things like that. But in the Cessna 150, I mean, it could just be low clouds. 20 knot crosswind. 20 knot crosswind, exactly, man. Yeah. Yep. Number seven of 13, safe and efficient operation of aircraft, including collision avoidance and recognition and avoidance of wake turbulence. I think uh, safe and efficient operation of aircraft, collision avoidance is pretty straightforward. What's not as straightforward maybe to some people is what is wake turbulence? Yeah, I mean, so you wake turbulence. from larger aircraft, right? Yeah, lar- I mean, yeah. Even if it's larger or even if you're in the same size aircraft, it can still well, yeah, pose yeah. a danger to you, but a uh, you know a, a citation probably doesn't have to worry about a one fifty in front of it. You Correct, know. but a citation Other behind another around, citation you might have some problems. Yes, but yeah. a citation behind another yeah. citation can still be a danger. What about a one fifty oh, yeah. behind another one fifty, sure. or a one seventy two behind another one seventy two? Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I've I've flown a little too close behind you, Rob, once and. It's definitely can can yeah I've landed up a little landed bit. right behind you as well and it's I've I've felt some some bumps that usually aren't yeah. there um well, yeah well and that's when it's worse too when, yeah the old yeah, simulated dog land. fights you know used to get yes, a little wake turbulence sometimes good old solo solo time there uh eight yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, landing landing is the landing is the worst case scenario really for experiencing wake turbulence because you know you'll see like on the written test the knowledge test which is exactly what we're talking about is the not the knowledge areas um, 
have an aircraft that is heavy, clean, so meaning aerodynamically clean, meaning none of the high lift devices are extended, meaning flaps or slats. Um, those all help artificially lower the angle of attack on the wing. So it's not exhibiting some of the principles that are, that generate uh, uh, the wake turbulence. I would use an example of a uh, boat to explain forces. this Go to ahead. people. Because uh, most people know boats, when they're Fire driving, away. they throw off wakes, which are these waves that go behind it. And it's very easy to visualize that when a, a boat is doing it. Uh, same thing happens with airplanes, almost. Yeah. The air, yeah, airplanes do the, the water, same thing with the air. Well, it's very similar, same thing. It's, it's not a similar the thing. thing in the air, only you can't see it. So you kind of have to visualize what that is, yeah. what that's doing. And similar to boats is, uh, this they're going fast it's usually a nice small crisp wake coming off the back that's not as bumpy but if it's like going like kind of slower it can throw off a much bigger wake if it's at idle but it's a, it's the same How thing much with slower a plane, though? what if it's at idle how do i, I go through the boat idling is an airplane taxing they're not throwing off a, a wake when they're taxing a boat idling is is basically taxing it's when they're like take off and landing. I consider getting on and off a plane on a boat. That's when you're throwing the biggest wake. When you're slow, when the, when the airplane's slowed up, big airplanes are slowed, similar to big boats when they're running slow, but they're still they're not completely going slow. They're they're throwing the biggest wake. You have a, like a ninety two Viking, big sport fish boat going fifteen knots. That thing's gonna throw a wake you can surf on. It's the same thing with like a like a like a jet, some sort of jet going slow, like on landing with everything out coming in, it's going to throw off something that's going to bounce up a trainer aircraft. Yeah, it's a very good analogy. I remember that here in the news they had problems with those uh, A380s for a while. They've completely recategorized. Yeah. You're getting people to stay back further. Even larger airplanes were getting coming in too close behind them and it was causing a lot of issues. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, you know, going into Charlotte for, you know, for all those years and, and just, you know, you're behind an, an Airbus, you know, 320, 321, 330. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of separation you have to have. And even after ATC has done their, their job and they've done a great job, you're still, still close enough. I mean, you can get rocked. You get rocked so hard it turns the autopilot off. Jeez. All right. Eight out of 13. Effects of density altitude on takeoff and climb performance. Uh, Basically, the higher the elevation altitude and the higher the temperature causes the air to become thinner. Uh, This decreases the performance of your aircraft. It's not like, oh, it doesn't feel like it accelerates and turns as fast. This This can sometimes be the difference between uh, making it off of the runway in time for the trees versus not. So that's something you'll you'll learn and be tested on in the written and probably um, when you are going through your check ride, final check ride with the examiner as well. Yeah, and if you don't feel like you're, you're learning to fly out of a short field, what's that? Say it again. If you learn to fly out of a, if you if you learn to fly out of a short field, this is very important. Yeah, it's very important to know, and you do learn it right away. It's not it's not theory. It's you're actually yeah. doing it. Yeah, you don't want to learn it the hard way. Yeah. You know, if your instructor no matter it doesn't matter because if your if your instructor isn't covering that, do your own do your own research, do your own learning, 
ask, you know, for a second opinion because this has killed yeah. a lot of people. You know, you have to, you just be, you know, you learned in Florida and it's hot in the summer. So you think, you know, well, it gets almost that hot in Denver in Denver. Yep. You're starting 5,000 feet hotter or higher. So that difference, I mean, you can have, you know, a, a 11,000 foot density altitude taking off in Denver in the summer, 11,000 feet. So you take off your Cessna 150 from Denver in the summer. You're yeah, basically 10,000 10, feet is the service ceiling of the 150. Off. I mean, you can bring them higher than that. I've done it, but hmm? so people don't fly 150s. Well, I know you have, yeah. But so I mean, well, I I I, I guess that was a bad example because I didn't know the service ceiling of the airplane. So nobody flies 150s. I know, I know 150s it's 10,000 feet is the, is the official service ceiling. And when the one time I brought it up there that high, uh, there's two of us in the plane, and I mean, from 10,000 to uh, got it. Almost twelve thousand, I think. I mean, it took over an hour to go find that last. Yeah, I think it was yeah, eleven. I think 7. I remember you saying you went to twelve thousand. I think it was eleven yeah, seven. I, Let's I not get crazy exactly. with your twelve thousand talk. It was mid eleven something. Um, yeah, eleven seven. I'm pretty sure you told me eleven thousand seven hundred. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. No, no, it's it's. Well, it's, what yeah, do you think eleven seven right. means? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what you told me. Anyways, I've, I've had to explain to people why, like, one day I take them flying, and then like they want to go flying another day, and I'm like, yeah, we we can't fly today because a 150 with full fuel out of a short field, like, if it's in the winter time, it's cool out, it's cold out, you, it's not a problem at all, but. The summertime, the same person that you took flying in the winter, you you might have to explain to him like, "Look, I got full fuel. I can't I can't take you flying today." These, I've had to do that. Yeah, before. another another example of Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. I mean, these airplanes have two totally different personalities. In the winter, you know, you're light and it's cold. The wing makes more lift. The engine makes more power. The prop makes more thrust. Everything's working for you. Then you go into the summer. You know, you got a hot day. It's high humidity. You're heavy. Yep. It's just not going to do. It's not even close to the same airplane. Number nine out of 13, weight and balance computations. How do we explain weight and balance without going on a 10-minute monologue here? I'm going to do my best. Um, uh, you, 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 push, you push down the tail of the aircraft, and if it comes back up, I believe you're, you're good wrong. to fly. Is that no, correctly? No, 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 no. Okay. No. That's, oh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's going to keep me up tonight. Um. That so only that only that works sarcasm, with smaller that's not Yeah, that's okay the only time that. it works. That yeah, joking. then it's perfectly okay to do that. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah despite what you may have heard, yeah. yeah, that that uh that's that's not okay. That's not approved yeah. by the FAA. Um what you want to do, I mean, and you'll your instructor will teach all this. Um you you every uh, airplane has uh weight and balance information in the approved flight manual or the pilot's operating handbook poh um and so you just want to make sure that you're weighing everything accurately putting it in its respective uh uh column or you know at the um the proper uh, factor do the math and it will spit out a number for you and that would tell you where the center of gravity lies uh on the uh, on the aircraft from the uh, forward to aft 
And that's going to just basically determine our controllability of the aircraft when the wing stalls. You hear in the news an airplane stalls, you think the engine quit. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an aerodynamic stall, which is when the wing quits making lift. I think we covered that in episode uh, two. Um, right, yep. guys? Yeah, episode two. Um, yeah, so yep. it launched, or um, yeah, I mean, forward, forward to aft and uh, figure out where that center of gravity is. And that's going to define our controllability when the wing stalls, the aerodynamic stall. And you always want to make sure that that's within the approved limits. Even if it's the furthest aft, as long as it's within limits by 0. 0.00001, you're good. You're good. That's that's within, that's within what the engineers expected, and, you, and you're good to go. Yeah, you want to know that number. Airplane's that's, been tested for that, and you, you, should be, you should be fine if your math's right. You will be fine. Yeah, you will be fine mm-hmm. Yeah, if that were, were to stall. But yeah, you want to do that, and that that does things for performance, weight and balance. That's a whole other subject. Again, you know, it changes performance characteristics, changes controllability characteristics. It's really interesting stuff. But for the private pilot, the aeronautical knowledge test that we're kind of talking about, it's pretty dry and very entry level. But you can really see some difference in the airplane characteristics, uh, uh, positively. Oh yeah, by messing these numbers mess yep. with these numbers a little bit all right number 10 out of 13 principles of aerodynamics and power plants and aircraft systems this is basically how an airfoil works how four-stroke engine works how the pedostatic system works um, all of this which is covered in the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge uh, number 11 is stall awareness spin entry spins and spin recovery techniques for the airplane and glider category ratings so airplane and gliders are basically the only aircraft that are are affected by this type of stuff um again as as you just said stall is not an engine stall they're talking about an aerodynamic stall uh spins are not required to be demonstrated for the private pilots uh, but you do need to have a good knowledge of them and you are are tested on them quizzed on them Uh, because you can get into one just because you're a private pilot doesn't mean you're not going to accidentally get into a spin and you should know it's counterintuitive we won't get into it now but how to get out of them was somebody about to say something? Oh, go for it. Oh, I was just going to ask Lee what the best way to get out of a spin is, but that's all right. Or, I mean, Lee, what's well, the best way to get out of a spin? I mean, I, I almost want to bounce right back to you and say, what do you think the first thing is? You're pointed at the ground, uh, which the knee jerk earth is spinning if you're pointed at the ground. Well, well I guess you, that was very ambiguous. Okay, first thing is thrust lever, or the uh, throttle mean, to idle. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Throttle yes. idle, and then aileron, aileron what? And then aileron what? Elevator, right? No, aileron spin, right? That was rudder. Yeah. Okay, rudder. But you do want to do the aileron, see, though. I was, see, I don't know. Yeah, I, you want to do some of the ailerons. Yeah, that's yeah. You yeah, want to neutralize the ailerons. Yeah, do you do a little forward yep. elevator? Neutralize yep. the ailerons. And um, then you yeah, do because forward if, elevator, if you have to, or is that what's that? No, 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 no. You don't want to do that because as soon as you break that spin, you're okay. basically pointed straight down, in and you're years, gonna but... be hauling quick. Yeah, once you break. Yeah, once you break that spin, you're pointed down so drastically that you're gonna accelerate so quickly. Um, and, and that, and that's one of the things on the recovery is you're really balancing the, the uh, the line, whether you're going to 
uh, do an accelerated stall because you're pulling too hard and bring that nose up too quickly and do an accelerated stall. Um, or you're going to, you know, wrap the airspeed indicator all the way around and, you know, break V, you know, you're never exceed speed. So you're really just kind of pulling as much as you think you can to, to bring that nose up without damaging the airplane or so, uh, inducing a accelerated stall. Does that make sense? Yeah. The moral of the story is don't get yourself into a spin. Well, you might though, you know, yeah. and so when you, when you get in front of the examiner, you want to, you want to talk about, or you want to think about thrust lever to idle, neutralize the ailerons, uh, rudder the opposite direction of the, ro- of the rotation. And then you, then obviously you're going to be pointed, you know, pretty close to not straight down, but you're going to be pointed dr- dramatically downward. And so you're just going to bring that, that yoke back to you or that stick back to you, raise the nose slowly because you're obviously increasing airspeed rapidly. Um, so yeah, you're just, you're just going to look at that. And if you really want to know your instructor can show you something might not be the airplane you're learning in or the airplane that you own, but they can find something normally to go show you in 172 is going to do spins. So yeah, that's pretty common trainer. Uh, 12 out of 13 in aeronautical, aeronautical decision making and judgment. How do we sum that up? Oh man. Well, I mean, yeah, when you start thinking about aeronautical decision making, <laughs> I mean, what, do you, what do you think? What's aeronautical decision making that can be so broad, um, basically making good decisions. Yeah. Like, use, use so, like you talked sense, about, Sky. I, I know you're joking, or not half I mean, joking. We talk about the geese. So, some people, if you talk about, think about your hazardous attitudes when it comes to flying. You talk about the geese coming out of Putin Bay. Some people would say, eh, they'll probably move or it probably right. won't be a factor. You made the good aeronautical decision in that case, on that day, in that airplane, at that airport to back taxi, scare the geese away. Don't leave it to chance. Get the geese moved instead of just starting your takeoff roll and yeah. hoping. Yeah, there's a good good chance they're going to move. What if they don't? What if the there's the off chance? Well, what if they, a lot of times they try to move and they'll, them right. trying to move right. them so I mean it, does, it doesn't so, matter you're doing the right thing yeah, to get yeah. them out of the way just yeah. get rid of the the possibility yeah. and that's so that's I mean that's what I think that is identify that's the first step to aeronautical decision making is identifying the risks that is the first start to aeronautical decision making and risk management identify the risks knowing that they're there yeah you can't you can't figure out what's going to happen unless you understand that the, all the possibilities yeah, and you know and some people clear just honestly are not good at identifying risks and that's a problem in itself and that's you know i don't know how much that can be taught into somebody you know most people have a good grasp on what what things are risky and what what, what aren't some people just don't have that though and that that takes, yeah. that takes time to really in in a lot of uh, from the flight instructor standpoint takes a lot of time to get that kind of beat into them, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, and, and they're never, they're, it's, they're never, they never really catch up. To be honest, that I've seen. Yeah. If you don't have it when you started flying, oh. you never really catch up. Yeah, it's, it, it is kind yeah, of, yeah, well, and, and yeah, but it starts when uh, you're really, really young. Don't climb on that. Don't do this. Don't yeah. do that, you know? And, you know, you start, you know, uh, your parents, I don't know if them being overprotective really helps, but you start kind of figuring out what is okay for me to do, assuming that your parents stopped you from doing things that were potentially dangerous. 
then you kind of cultivated that mentality. Then as you got older, you started to see what was okay to do and what wasn't. And hopefully you survived it. Then you start flying. Now you have a whole bunch of new things happening to you and going on around you. You have to kind of sift your way through what things are potentially hazardous, what what aren't. And that was a perfect example of Scott's, don't you think, Rob? Oh, yeah. But then, you know, I'm trying to think yeah. of like other stuff. You know, I come across a lot of stuff and I think about it in the time. But now like here, I'm trying to think of another thing that, that I started thinking about. You know, icing is a big one. We kind of hit on that earlier. You know, we're supposed to be a clean aircraft concept, but, you know, maybe we are. Maybe we did everything right and we got de-iced and we got anti-iced. But there's blowing snow from this cornfield. So now I've got snow on top of my wing. It's 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 crazy. It can be almost anything. Yeah. But you and, and that that just takes time to cultivate, you know, the aeronautical aspect of the decision making, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. You can make decisions in your car, what's risky, what isn't, but cultivating aeronautical takes some time too. What? Mm-hmm. One time somebody asked me to take them flying and uh back taxied with them and I realized that they had extremely bad BO. (laughs) So I, I told them that it was, it was, it was too hot to take off. I said, I said, we can't, we can't do it today. I said, you know, density altitude's too high. So I said, we're going to have to taxi back in. And I feel like that was an example of good aeronautical decision-making. That was some great aeronautical decision-making there, Scott. Yeah. Well, I mean, That is that Lee. Is that a good I'd example? Say a stellar or example. No? Because what if Not, it would have pa- made you pass out? Okay, on the takeoff right after. Takeoff. Right, that's what I was thinking. You could yeah. have gotten sick. A sick yeah. pilot's not a good yeah. thing. I'd yeah. say you nailed it, man. And I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the guy was drunk too. So yeah, well, that's another factor. That could be dangerous. Yeah, that's another one. At least if all right, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh uh, no, it was probably it was probably a little distasteful. All right. Yep. 13 out of 13. Last one. Pre-flight action. That includes, they break this down into two different parts. Uh, First part is how to obtain information on runway lengths at airports of intended use, data on takeoff and landing distances, weather reports and forecasts and fuel requirements. And then number two, how to plan for alternatives if the planned flight cannot be completed or delays are encountered. Um, How do we figure out runway lengths? Break that down before we go. For, yeah. part, for part one, I for nowadays I just use more flight for everything. Yeah. but that's because I'm lazy. And that's ninety percent of the students. Just other ways, or pilots. Yeah, yeah. We, we always did the. Um, I can't even remember what the book's called now. Those green books. I just said it earlier. Airport facilities. Yeah, airport facility directories. Uh, airport facility directories. Um, yeah. That has. That's what I always used back. Yeah, then. that has now all the runway lengths flight, or right. for flight uh, in 2020 here. Uh, yeah. Data and takeoff and landing distances. Uh, those are in the POH, Pilot's Operating Handbook. Those are specific books for the aircraft you're flying. Uh, they ha- or aeronautical information. Or the, or the proof flight manual. manual. Uh, weather reports and forecasts. Uh, I was going to ask you guys where you get your weather info now. Uh, I do mainly for flight. I do aviation weather. Yeah, that's, you do that's aviation weather for flight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have used that in the past. Actually, I'll, I'll be honest. Most of the time, I use Accuweather. You do what? 
well, for I the mean, local flying I mean, on the pattern you do for the most part. Weather. I just worry. I just worry about. I, I just worry about TFRs. Is the only reason. Right. Well, you can understand that, what I'm doing. Sure. I'm not. I'm not going flying Oh, I check the TFR. I use uh, yeah, Sky Vector. What's the name of that website? Um, yeah, uh, Sky Vector. Is that well, what? That, it is? I mean, that's good for weather or, planning. That's good for yeah, all kinds that of stuff. That Sky Vector. Yeah, but I mean, just like for flight, you know, just TFRs. Yeah, I use that all the time. For uh, for we wind, have, I I like that. Uh, yeah, we windy. windy that's app. great. That's and the best wind app I've, use I've personally found. Yeah. Uh, fuel requirements. I, uh, I like that app for wind. It says that's Seems the thirty good. minutes and forty five minutes. I'm guessing. Obviously, uh, being able to do the calculations, you have at least a minute. thirty minute reserve during the well, day and forty five yeah, minute reserve if it's night. Make yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a little, I mean, yeah, you need IFR, to be able right? to go to your alternate and then 45 minutes. And, and then, and then how to plan for alternatives yeah, if the planned flight cannot be completed or delays. We got in this right, last episode right a little bit planning for diversions. What? Um, yeah. Yeah. Always have other options. That's basically the, always the have sums up. And this is for the pre-flight number 13 pre-flight actions. That includes, um, that's basically before you plan to figure out alternatives on your route as well as a plethora of other stuff. Oh, yeah. All right. And you can go as in-depth as you want with your pre-flight planning. I mean, there's just really, I mean, you can really go over the top, too. It depends on the plane. It depends on the flight you're doing. depends on how much time you have in that plane doing those types of operations. And the smaller the plane, the more planning you have to do, I found. The bigger the plane, the less planning you do. In certain aspects, yeah. For you do, like if you're just going to go bomb around the pattern in a 172, that's a lot different than flying a corporate jet. You know, how many how many I su- miles? I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose, I guess that's true. I mean, I mean, that's true. That's true. They're yeah, they're inverted in both of those scenarios. If you're going across country, you have to plan a lot less in a bigger airplane. But if you're staying in the pattern, it's a lot more than you would in a smaller yeah. airplane. That's a very good point. I really thought about that because we just don't ever do that. But yeah, yep. that's a good point. All right. We'll wrap this thing up. Uh, best way to get a hold of us is to email us. Uh, mine is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. That's B-E-R-G-E-R, spelled the German way, not the sandwich way. Uh, Lee is F-A-R-A-I-M at leegriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Scott is found at F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com, B-O-R-E-S. Uh, show notes is robertberger.com backslash F-A-R-A-I-M-003 for this episode. And uh, you guys got anything else? I'm good, man. I think that's it. Save it for the next one. All right. We'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Yep. See ya.